0: We are in chapter 41 of Genesis. Last week we had uh, our superintendent Neil Brower here. I got to hear from him. But the week before that, we were in Genesis chapter 40, and we're in the middle of the story of Joseph, for really all this, the tales and stories about Joseph that are in Genesis. Um, and he starts out, he's the son of. Uh, of Jacob. He's the favorite son of Jacob. Um, his brothers resent him for that and some other things. And so they uh, sell him into slavery. Um, he goes in as a slave in the house of Potiphar and he becomes Potiphar's favorite uh, slave. So he goes from favorite son to favorite slave, not quite the same, um, but uh, still he's at the top of, of wherever he's at. And, uh, and, and then he goes uh, to uh, prison because Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with him and he won't do that. Uh, he won't violate that. And so she ha- uh, kind of creates a story that gets him put in prison. Uh, but then next thing we know, he's the favorite prisoner. So we go from like favorite son to slave to favorite slave to prisoner, to favorite prisoner. It's not a good trajectory overall. Um, and and so then he has a stroke of, of possible fortune, like something maybe good's going to happen. The cupbearer and the baker, the these chief officers in Pharaoh's court, they get thrown in prison, and he's able to help them out. He's able to interpret some dreams for them, and he interprets, interprets accurately. Not great for the baker, his Head gets lifted off of his body. But great for the cupbearer, his head gets lifted up, and he's restored to his position. So he, so Joseph had it set up to where he's supposed to tell him. is supposed to tell Pharaoh, hey, tell him about me. Tell him about what I can do. Tell him about who I am. Tell him about my case is not fair. I shouldn't be in prison. Um, but the cupbearer, he forgets. He doesn't say anything. And so we pick up in, in chapter 41 verses 1 through 14. We'll start off with Pharaoh's dreams here. After two whole years. Let's pause there for a second. Okay, so two, I know we just started, but we're just going to take a pause. (laughs) Two years, two, like notice he even emphasizes two whole years. Two years from the time he thinks he's he's maybe has a shot, right? Two years after this guy forgot about him, after he helped the, this guy out and he forgot about him, two years he's still languishing in prison. And, and he, we know he has community down there. He's got, he, he knows the prisoners. He knows the guards. He's at the top of the list. Uh, and he you know, probably has, he's going through, a, he's in a difficult place in close proximity with, with this group of people. Not unlike our Mexico team, right? Not unlike that. Really close proximity, difficult task, right? You get to do some weird things, right? They maybe like convince you to uh, grow a a fun mustache (laughs) and maybe convince you to keep it for one more day, even after you get back, right? That kind of thing. Like they, they do all this stuff, you know, they're, they've got this community going down there. He's kind of at the top of it. He, he knows what he's doing, but two years still languishing in prison, still not good conditions, not good food. He's got people down there probably that he's close with. Uh, It's a whole life that he's built in prison. The whole time, from the time he gets sold into slavery until this incident here that we're going to get into today, it's 13 years that he either spent as a slave or a prisoner. That's, that's such a significant amount of time. It's time to build. A, he's, he, there, he's not like he's just still every day waiting for, oh, maybe today's the day that I'm going to get out, right? He's in it, and even now, two years have passed, he's probably forgotten all about the cupbearer, forgotten, I mean, maybe he probably remembers it, but he doesn't, he's not holding out hope for that, right? He's settled into, I guess I'm in prison now. But we know he's got these promises that God has made to him. He's got these dreams that God has given him. He still has something to hope for. So he, while at the same time, he's finding his way down there and, and not just wallowing in self-pity, he's also still hoping for, what might come. And that's where we're going to get into today. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted up seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, and there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, "'I remember my offenses today, when Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard.' when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Okay, so Pharaoh's has, has these terrifying dreams, right? Pharaoh has these bad dreams. They must have been just vivid, right? He must have been very vivid, very terrifying. He's relieved when he wakes up and and discovers they're a dream, right? Verse seven there. It's, I I think it's pretty remarkable, especially for scripture where it says, and Pharaoh, and Pharaoh awoke and behold, it was a dream, right? He's like, even even he want, they want us to feel that thing. If you know, when you wake up from a, a, a dream that's Disturbing or scary, and you wake up and you're like, oh, "It was just a dream, right?" That's Pharaoh's experience. He's like, "That was the most terrifying, probably the most terrifying dreams of his life." And of course, of course, they're terrifying. You know why? Zombie cows. <laughs> zombie cows are in the Bible. Do you know that before today that there are zombie cows in the Bible? This is it. And zombie corn, which is that's really weird. Right? But there's, they're eating each other. Right? That's, that, that'd be a terrifying thing. If you was, imagine if it was just the most vivid, like you're probably in your head picturing it cartoon. Right? You're thinking of it like cartoons. Like, oh yeah, and they just like root and eat them. Right? They just swallow them up, and it's a cartoon kind of thing. The mouth opens really big. Right? And then it just kind of, oh, there it goes. No. It's probably really vivid, real like gristly terrifying dream that he had and if you saw that if you saw that and it looked like it was real life that would be terrifying right that sounds like something out of out of a horror movie right? that you might see in a horror movie that's what he's seeing here he's terrified we can also see from our perspective of of reading this story that God is up to something because now this is the third set of double dreams uh in the story, right? The first is, uh, is, is the, the dreams that Joseph has as a boy of his brothers and his uh, parents bowing to him. Um, the second was the cupbearer and the baker. They had dreams that kind of matched up. And now Pharaoh's having these dreams that match up. And that was a big deal in, in Egyptian culture, that when, when there were two dreams that kind of went together, there was almost assurance of fulfillment for them. And so God's up to something here. And he causes the cupbearer to remember. The cupbearer finally remembered Joseph. And and I wonder if I wonder if he actually forgot or if God caused him to forget before, until this moment. Right? If God was waiting, had him hold back and, 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 and not remember Joseph, not bring him up until this very moment that he re- revealed it to him, like, hey, remember this now, and he caused him to remember it. it doesn't, but the Bible doesn't really tell us, but we can see that it's God's timing. Right? We can see that it's God's timing. I have a similar experience to this in my life. Um, it actually, today, uh, July, today is July 21st, right? Yeah. So today is my uh, 13th anniversary. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and and so in case you thought I forgot, I was rubbing in here. Oh, maybe she's not. Um, in case you thought I forgot, if, if you ever you know, want worried about whether you'll forget, just write it into your manuscript for the day, and you're good to go. Um, <laughs> right. So. But when Robin and I met, we met uh, in college, we met when we were both college students. Um, but, but that time we met, uh, we had had a lot of opportunities where we should have met before then um, because we both started going to this church when we were little kids, She even a little before me. Um, but me, I started when I was 10 years old and we were both here um, all that time. Um, we both went to the same high school. We were just one grade apart. Uh, We were on the same track team at high school and you think well track teams are really big. We did the same event (laughs) We both did we both did like shot put and discus and so there was all all of maybe ten of us and Somehow I never I didn't know her name When we met right we were we were there so many times we knew by the time when we finally got together we knew so many people in common um, the person that she, she, the girl that she's been friends with since she was in kindergarten, um, that her, her best, best friend, um, I, I ate lunch with every day for two years <laughs> because she was dating one of my really good friends. I ate lunch with them every day. Robin just didn't have the same lunch as us in high school. So it was crazy when we met and realized like, how did we not meet before this moment? Well, I think it was God blinding us to each other until the, mo- like the perfect moment, right? Until God had, had worked on me enough that I wouldn't be repulsive, <laughs> right? Until he had kind of fixed me a little bit, got shaved off some rough edges, and he's like, okay, he's still not perfect, but I think she will tolerate him now. Let's bring them together, right? That's kind of what I think was happening there. And so we can see, that it's vital that we learn to trust in and wait on God's timing in our lives, right? It's vital that we learn to trust that because we always want it right now. We always want whatever we think should happen to happen right now. We don't trust that God has a plan in in place. We don't trust that he has timing in place. Right? And I think even Joseph, like, you know, Joseph's a good guy and he's got a lot of good qualities and he's trusting God in a big way. But I think those two years, I don't know that he was going like, yes, this is on Probably God's got something going on here. But right? I don't think he was thinking that. Right? I think that, that he was probably like, what is happening? Why isn't God saving me? Why, what's the, what's the purpose of leaving me in prison for two years? Well, it's for this moment that Joseph is, can step up, and this is, his, this is his moment. And so he's finally summoned. He's pulled up out of the pit. He's readied for the palace, right? He, he's, he's in this prison, and they, they refer to it as the pit. It literally is like a pit. It's a, a dirty dungeons, and he's like down there, he's a servant. Uh, he's living in there now. they've got to get him ready for the palace to go before pharaoh you can't have you can't just have some um dirty foreign prisoner brought before pharaoh in the palace or they've got to get him ready so they um they shave him right he is hebrews hebrew men would would wear beards but egyptian men were uh were clean shaven and so they've got to shave him up they give him new clothes they bathe him or he probably stank uh, they give him a bath, they put clean clothes on him. Like, what a transformation, right? What an abrupt change this would have been. And we have to remember that Joseph, early on, is described as, as well-built and handsome, right? And so this would have been like a radical transformation. Because you see, even the best-looking people, if you left them in prison for five, six years, in, in, back in this time especially, if you left them there... And, you know, they weren't able to bathe regularly, weren't able to shave or groom themselves, There's hair growing crazy. Like, you're going to think this is an ugly guy. But then they cleaned him up. They were probably like, wow, what the, hmm, look at this guy, right? And now he's, now he's coming in, into the palace. He's ready to, to for his moment, right? He's got this, this radical transformation. All right, moving on to point number two, Joseph's interpretation. Let's see what he does with this opportunity. Verses 15 through 36. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed on the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. And when they had eaten them, no one would have known they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dreams seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I, thought, and I told to, it to the magicians, and there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years the dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty blighted years of the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, uh, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty through all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt." The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint the overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for good in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. Okay, notice one big thing in the beginning, like right off the bat, something overarching this whole thing that I want you to notice that Joseph gives God the credit from the very beginning, before he, before he says anything, he gives God the credit. He says, no, it's God is the one who will do this, right? He says immediately, it's not me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer, right? He immediately does that, and then later on, he says, it's like I said, God is showing you what he's about to do, right? He's, he's quoting this foreign God to Pharaoh. This, this is a risky thing to do. It's a very risky thing for him to do, because Uh, remember pharaoh himself was believed to be divine in egyptian culture pharaoh was supposed to be a god and so you have this foreigner coming coming in front of him and saying um no my god my foreign god that you don't know he will give you an answer he's the one who speaks through me he's the one who's showing you what is about to happen you divine being who doesn't understand your dreams Right? That's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, you don't even understand these things. You're not a God, the real God, the God I serve. He's the one who will give you an answer. Right? He's putting this out there. Um, right? We would think he would, he, the natural thing for any person into, coming into the situation would be to be intimidated. Right? The court of any king or pharaoh in this case, like, it would be a, a scary place, a very intimidating place. He's got a throne, he's got guards who are armed, right? He's got all these things, like the idea that Joseph would come and be like, oh, no, no, my, my foreign God, he's the one who's going to tell you, not me, right? He's being bold, he's being specific, he's saying this is what it is going to be. He's, but he, and remember, he's being rescued from prison, um, right? Experiencing all this pomp and circumstance of the Egyptian court, the natural thing that would be to moderate your beliefs, right? To be at least be like, well, I believe, right? That's at least what we would do. The the boldest we might be. The boldest I can imagine being is, is, well, my belief is that the the God I believe in, he'll give you an answer. That might be what I would say, right? That might be how I would phrase it. But Joseph, he's just like, no, the God. The God will give you an answer. He immediately speaks up for God. And this is uh, really kind of a foreshadowing of, of what Jesus will command um, his people, or give his prophecy in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places famines, and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate before how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. But Jesus tells us, hey, when, when you're given these opportunities, you speak up. This is your chance to testify. Don't, he says, don't think about what you're about to say. Let God speak through you. He's saying, let me give you the words to speak boldly the truth that you know. But we see that, that so in Joseph's situation, Pharaoh's so desperate, right? He's so scared um, about these dreams. He's worried um, that he doesn't even respond to Joseph's in, uh, invoking a, a foreign deity, right? He doesn't even respond. He doesn't say anything about it. He doesn't even even react, right? He's so uh, scared. He's got more detail in these recountings. He's freaked out, and so he's willing to hear from anybody now. Um, and so Joseph gives this God-centered interpretation, right? He gives that interpretation that's very specific and continues to reiterate that God is about to reveal to you what he's about to do. Um, and so this, so he says here, he says, and he uses the word Elohim. We mentioned, I mentioned a few weeks ago, from here on, it doesn't, aside from the very beginning, where you're talking about Potiphar, his work in Potiphar's house, they use the word Yahweh, which is like the name of God. But now it's just using Elohim, which is more of like the, you know, God in the, in, in the the concept of God. Right? But he's still speaking about his God specifically. Um, but he's using this word, so he says, Elohim has revealed what he is about to do. And The statement puts God in the position of divine orchestrator. Right? God's the one who's orchestrating all this. He's the one doing all these things. Verse 32, we see him say, the thing is fixed by Elohim, and Elohim will shortly bring it about. God is doing this. And so we think about why is he using this? Why is he using Elohim instead of Yahweh? Why is he doing this? Um, well, in chapter 39 is where he talks about his work in Potiphar's house, he uses Yahweh repeatedly, but it's the narrator talking about what God is about to what God is doing, right? The narrator is saying, says, "The Lord was with Joseph, that's Yahweh was with Joseph. Ber- chapter 39, verse two and three. Do I have that? Yeah. So when you see, the word LORD in all caps in your Bible, that's Yahweh. That's the kind of code that they put in there for you. So Yahweh was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that Yahweh was with him, and that Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So in this part of the story, in, as differently, Joseph is addressing Pharaoh. So he's, he's talking to Pharaoh, So he has to be doing this all in Egyptian. He's speaking Egyptian to Pharaoh right now. So he's not even using the word Elohim. He's using whatever Egyptian word for God, for like the high God that he can find, is the word that he's using. He's using some Egyptian word. This is a translation of what he said to Pharaoh. And so they're saying in translation, God. Uh, But Pharaoh would have definitely understood that he was talking about his Hebrew God, right? Because he's talking about my God. He's saying my God has revealed to you what he's about to do. <clears throat> it's also interesting to note that the Pharaoh himself is not even mentioned in the interpretation. He can't do anything to cause or stop the famine from coming. God is the one who's in control. He's saying this is gonna happen. God has set these things. You're gonna have seven years of plenty and then you're gonna have seven years of famine God has put these things in motion. And again, Pharaoh can't do anything about it. Pharaoh's not the one in control. He can only respond to what God is doing. Again, highlighting how God is, in, is powerful and Pharaoh is not. It reaffirms God's position as the only one who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Right? Pharaoh is none of those things. In Isaiah 45, verses 5-7, through seven, it reiterates this point. It says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that God may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So we see here that leading a God-centered life as Joseph does here means bring him into every moment. Right? How do we how do we bring him in to every moment of your life? And so Joseph gives some advice to Pharaoh. He's going to give some advice. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. God has said it. Here's what's going to happen. He's going to give some advice. He suggests saving 20% of the crops. Right? Saying 20% of the crop, crops strategically stored in the cities for easy distribution. Um, he doesn't just so God. We see that God doesn't just reveal the problem to Joseph; He also reveals the solution. And Joseph is given this miraculous revelation of a problem and a solution, but they still have to live through the famine and execute this human-based solution. Right? God, He doesn't say, "And God's going to miraculously provide for this." He gives him this very practical solution for here's how you would save for this calamity. Here's how we could, we could solve this problem that God reveals to him. They still have to live it out. They still, they're still going to have to actually do it. Pharaoh's going to have to respond favorably to this. Let's see if he does. Last point here, verses, verses 37 through 57. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom, is the, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put gold chain around his neck and made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. So Joseph went, over out, went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt And put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine came, began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, and in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, for he, and what he says to you, do. So, when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. All right, so first off, we see Joseph promoted. Uh, pharaoh responds well to the plan he he likes it um and and we almost get a a sense of like was he setting himself up for this was he like hey you could put somebody uh uh, somebody in charge i don't know who you might put in charge like maybe somebody's hebrew background might be good Uh, i don't know uh you know is that what he's doing is he setting himself up to be put in charge of this plan how crazy would that be how unlikely would that be that he was doing that? He had just come from prison. He was in prison that morning. He woke up in prison. The thought that he would end up being put in charge of this plan is crazy. And so he, he's, just, he's just trying to say, hey, here's, the, here's what God gave me. Here's the plan that I can give you. And so he's just putting it out there. Uh, he in no way would think that he was uh, going to be elevated to that position. But And then Pharaoh says... Uh, the spirit of God or the spirit of the gods is probably more likely in, in, in terms of it from translating from the Egyptian, because they believed in many. Uh, the spirit of the gods is in Joseph, right? He, he doesn't become an instant convert. He doesn't go, okay, now I believe in your God, right? He's just saying, I see something incredible in this man. And he's, what he's seeing is this. He actually is seeing the spirit of God, but that's just, he doesn't know that he doesn't understand quite what he's seeing. And so like many before him, Pharaoh is happy to benefit from God's influence without worshiping him. Right? Pharaoh is not going to turn his life over to Yahweh. He's not going to start worshiping God. Uh, he is just willing to benefit from what he sees God doing in Joseph's life. And we see that all the time. You see that in a lot of people. A lot of people are willing to take benefit from God without actually worshiping him. You probably know people who if you uh, offer to pray for them, even though they don't believe, they're they're willing to have you pray for them. Because they're willing to get whatever they can get from it. We see this in in Luke chapter 17 with the lepers. Uh, Jesus heals ten lepers. It says, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your, your way. Your faith has made you well. Right, that right there, that's the situation. We see that all the time, right? Nine of these, of these men, they get cleansed and they go, great, I, that's all I wanted. And they, and they go. Right? They're not willing to respond to, understand who made them well. So Joseph goes from, from prison immediately to number two in all of Egypt. The the amount of things that he says he's willing to do is incredible. He says, like, no one can lift a foot or a hand without your consent. That's incredible. To go from prison to that in the same day. That's how convinced Pharaoh is by this. Pharaoh gives him authority over everyone except Pharaoh. And he's given a new name. He's got to have an Egyptian name if he's going to be in charge of all these things. And so he gets this name, uh, Zaphonath-Paneah. And we don't know exactly what the translation would be. There's a couple of possibilities uh, that that they kind of, uh, the biblical scholars argue over. Uh, One um, is possibly the the man he knows, which seems possible based on what he just did. Uh, The second is uh, the God has said he will live. This are just possible translations. We don't really know exactly what it is, but he's given this Egyptian name. And at this point, he's very Egyptian, right? He's very, very Egyptian at this point. He's living among Egyptians. He's got an Egyptian name. He wears Egyptian clothes. He speaks Egyptian. He's bowed to and obeyed by Egyptians, Egyptians, right? Egyptians bow to him. They listen to him. He has an Egyptian wife now, Um. But the key thing is that we can see that he never forgets his God, right? He never forgets who he really is and who his God is. In spite of all that, he would, you know, under all circumstances, you would think, okay, he's just going to immediately, he's fully in Egyptian culture now. Right? He's fully integrated. He should just go with the flow. He's number two, like he's benefiting from this. He's fully Egyptian. Why not just be Egyptian? But he never forgets his true citizenship. And this is crucial for us as well, that we don't, we don't forget our true citizenship. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 tells us, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so easy to forget that that's where our only true allegiance is. Because we can get wrapped up in all kinds of things in our own culture, all kinds of identities, all kinds of allegiances that we go along with, that we get confused by and not realize that's not our primary allegiance our true citizenship is in heaven we have to remember that that's just like, just as joseph did even he's in the government he is the government right and yet he still remembers no my allegiance is in heaven that's who i really belong to god has made promises to me so joseph executes the plan that god had given given him he carries this out. He starts it. At, at, he's 30 years old. This is another parallel to Jesus' life. A lot of people par- draw parallels between Joseph's life and Jesus' life. Here's one that he's 30 years old when he starts this. He gets elevated, elevated to his position. Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry. And so he carries out this plan that God had given him. He has to do it. He has to actually do it. God gives him the plan and he has to actually carry it out. He had to wake up every morning with a to-do list. You realize that? Like this is actual work. He has to actually wake up and like go, okay, I haven't visited these towns and given them instructions. I have to travel to these places. You know what? I'm gonna have to stay there overnight. I need to pack a bag, right? He probably got servants to do that for him, but still like he's got to pack a bag. He's got to go travel, like set up accommodations. He can stay wherever he wants. Everyone has to listen to him, Um, right? But he has to do it. He has to actually, like, he has to get people under him. He's got to order people around. He's got to get people that, uh, that, that he's got to talk to. He's got to instruct farmers. Uh, he's got to deal with insubordination. Right? He's got to deal with what, how does he deal with it when people go, We well, don't want to save 20%. We'll save 10 right? Or, like, you know, whatever. He's got to deal with that. He's got to hire and train overseers. Uh, he's got a he 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 tries for a while to track how much they've saved. Eventually, he's like, "It's oh, we can't track it anymore. It's too much." That is hard work that he has to actually get up and do. And that's important for us too, that we see that and realize he's actually doing the work, right? A lot of us look at the Bible and am I include myself in this? I look at the Bible and go like, "Oh yeah, I see God just doing." Fixing people's problems, just left, boom, he fixed this one, boom, fixed that one, and like, let's get on that train, and like, okay, God, I've got this problem, like, just, just fix it, right? That's often how we want it to work, but in this case, God goes like, no, I have a, um, a seven-year plan that you're gonna have to get up and do every day. You're gonna have to coordinate, like, all God told him was like, save 20%. That's it. Save 20% of all that you grow for seven years, and then you'll be able to get through the next seven years. But you have to do that the whole time. And, and who would believe him at this point? Who would believe him that the, actual, the famine would actually come? He has to just keep going, keep doing it every day. He has two sons during this time. Manasseh is, is he who causes is, is us to forget. And that God had caused him to forget his hardship. He's like, no, the God has, has given me something. He's given me a life. I'm no longer in prison. I've actually got a task. I've got a, a position. I've got things to do. He's happy about that. He remembers God as the one who put him in that position. Ephraim means fertile, right? God had made him fruitful in the land of his, of his affliction. And so we see that these names give evidence that he had not ceased to worship the God of his father's. If not only because of what they mean, uh, because they were Hebrew names. He gives them Hebrew names. That would have probably been controversial at the time, right? He's, he's, again, in Egyptian government, high up in Egyptian government. A lot of people probably were not happy about the fact that he's still giving his kids Hebrew names. And so finally, we see the famine begins. His interpretation is confirmed, right, when the first year of famine starts, and I wonder, like, do you think he worried about whether or not it would happen as the just, it continued to go seven years, like, that last year, he's probably like, you know, it's still full strength, like, we're still abundant, like, is that next, that next year, you know, that that first rainfall, he was probably like, okay, no more, no, like, this has to pay off, right, he's got to have, he's got to, it's got to actually work, You wonder if if Pharaoh questioned it at some point. It kind of reminds me of Noah building the ark, right? Noah building the ark. It hasn't rained. He's waiting for it to actually happen. Is it going to actually come to pass? And so as the world begins to to come, when it actually hits, the famine actually hits, and now it says the world is coming to him. There's all these foreigners coming, speaking different languages, coming to him and 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 asking for grain you wonder if he if he thought about his father and his brothers did he think like, are they going to come did he think about that we're going to get into that in the next couple of weeks but we see here overarching we see god's timing and positioning people in the right places at the right times god working this out in terms of the actual timelines of things causing the cupbearer to remember that he's in it right he's in it even though he's not really do anything miraculous, not doing any big miracles, not saving the day in a major way. He's orchestrating these things from above. He's, he's working the timing out just perfectly. We had a situation like, like that um, this last week when I was in Mexico. Um, my wife was, was stayed home with our kids and everything, and um, there's a woman who lives near our house who's the, the mother of, of a friend of of both of our, this is one of those friends that we both had um, that, uh, but we still didn't, when we still didn't know each other. Uh, This friend of ours, uh, she had come out a a few weeks ago, and uh, when we had caught up with her, and she had talked to us about the fact that her mom, who still lives here, she doesn't, our friend doesn't live here anymore, but her mom lives here and um, is starting to come down with dementia, and so she was telling us about this, and we're like, oh, I'm so sorry, and she's talking about all the things, how they're going to try to work it out, what they need to do, and it's progressing quickly, and that kind of thing, and so she had told us about this. We've been praying for them and, and all that, but she had, had gone back. Uh, this week, uh, Robin is, is driving down uh, the road and sees this woman just walking down the street, Um, sees sees uh, her mother walking down the street and uh, this friend of ours mother walking down the street and pulls over and realizes, you know, she's totally confused. She thinks she's going to walk to Roseville from Cameron Park. And so she gets her in the car and drives her back. And, and she calls, she, she doesn't have our friend's number. She calls me in Mexico and our phones work down there now, like work just fine. Um, And so I actually get the call at first, it dro- this is not part of the story. It drops, and I am panicking. I don't know what it's about. All she had said was, hello. And then the call dropped out, and I'm like, she's calling me here? Something is terribly wrong, right? And I'm like, we're thinking about the worst, obviously. Like, that's a side note. Um, she calls you back. She says, hey, I don't have... Uh, our friend's number, like, will you call her and, and let her know what's going on? Because uh, I, I don't know what to do. So I, I called her, had her call, Robin, and, and they got it all worked out. They got her back home and safe and had somebody come over that could be with her and, and all that. So it, it worked out great. And so we were talking about this story as a family, and and somebody said, well, that's, you know, God's timing. That God, God really, you can see God's hand in that. And um, and then later on, the drive home, uh, my son Judah is asking, uh, asking Robin about that, asking her about this story. And so she's explaining it and explaining like, oh, why did, some, why did they say, oh, you could see God's hand in it and all that kind of thing. And she's explaining what that meant. And then, okay, so he gets it. He understands what's happened. And then they're getting out of the car and he says, I'm glad Jesus was there. Right? He's like, I'm glad, I'm glad Jesus, was, Jesus was there. Right? That's a, he, and that's like, yeah. Right? Let's say one of those things where you're like, yeah, I'm glad he's there too. Right? I'm glad he's around. I'm glad he's involved in our lives. That's where we see God working in our lives. We can see those things. You can see that same situation and go like, oh, that was lucky. Right? That was a good coincidence. Right? Or we can see it as God actually working in our lives. We can bring him into it. Let's wrap up with how should we then live. Three quick things. I know we're on the later side here. Number one, learn to trust and wait on God's timing. And learn to trust and wait on God's timing, that, that he is working in your life. Believe it. Believe that he's working in your life. Number two, recognize God as sovereign over everything. Recognize that he is in control and over everything. He can change all of these things. He orchestrates it all. And then lastly, remember that your true citizenship is, is in and highest allegiance is to the kingdom of God. That that has to be number one in, in your life. And if that's not, that may be it, something you need to work with in your heart and, and pray about and talk to God about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, um, thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for this word Thank you for this story of Joseph and, and the way we can see how you work in our lives, how you care about us and care about what we do and, and, and everything that, that occurs, God. That you're in the details, that you're not uh, remote and uninvolved, but you care and you're there and, and you're working things out in your timing, God, because you know what is best. I pray that we would believe that more and more every day that we would bring you into conversations, that we would center our lives on you. I pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.